In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three, and One who has come in order to give us a promise of our significance in the midst of feeling very insignificant. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, about 200 years ago, in 1818, there was a poet named Percy Bysshe Shelley. Uh, you may know him from uh, Frankenstein stuff and, and all of that, but he, he, uh, he wrote this sonnet, the sonnet that maybe you read in high school or maybe in grade school, um, th- this, uh, you know, this thing that went in iambic pentameter, and, and uh, for a lot of people, uh, this is going to sound really just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm being transported back to, you know, middle school or high school. And it's this poem called Ozymandias. And the poem goes like this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip, and sneer of cold command, tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level stands stretch far away. Now, Shelley was writing that poem as a, uh, a, as a competition between another poet and himself. And, and they were writing these poems to see who could actually get to the essence of how fleeting human power actually is. And it seems like, well, Percy Shelley won because uh, we, we have his poem that remains and, and not the other guy. And in that poem, we, we have this sort of interesting moment, this moment where we, we have this thing that gets conjured up in our heads of, of a statue, a statue of a great king, the king of kings, Ozymandias, who is there in this, well, now desert. And instead of it being a great statue, it's broken down. There's just two trunks of legs there. And all that you get is the inscription at the pedestal, at the base of where the statue was. And, and so, so you have this sort of sense of like, oh, okay, th- this is what this guy was reduced to. And, and a lot of people think that Shelley was thinking about Ramses II of Egypt, but it doesn't really matter who it was because what it is is just a picture of how weak and insignificant sometimes the most powerful people in our world can be. 
That kind of a person's power will dissipate. That kind of a person will not be enabled to oppress other people for all time. And that's good news for us, right? But in that, we also hear a little bit of bad news. We also hear a little bit of news that maybe frightens us. There's a little bit of news about ourselves because in some ways, Well, we sort of relate to Ozymandias. We sort of relate to who he is. We relate to uh, our wanting to be like him, wanting to be the king of kings in some ways, the queen of queens, the princess of princesses. And, and we relate to that because, well, we, we want to be significant. We want to be significant like Ozymandias. We want to be like him. And we want to be like him because there's that, that fear that we have of, of nobody, nobody really remembering us. That, that our lives here are just sort of, well, well transitory. That, uh, that we will go in one ear and out of the other. That our time and our lives will, well, they'll, they'll just be sort of here And then they'll go away and nobody will remember us. I mean, at least Ozymandias got to keep his legs and his pedestal in the sand. But we're not even sure that we're guaranteed that. And we fear that kind of, well, insignificance. We fear that sense that, well, maybe nobody will care in 50 years from now. And maybe if you're a student here, that you, you have that kind of feeling. You, you have four years, maybe a little bit more if you add on some grad school years afterwards. Uh, but you, maybe you have that sense of, I'm here for these four years, and I'm here in order to make a statement. I'm here to make something of my life here, and who's going to remember me in four years? Who's going to remember me after I graduate? Who's going to re are my professors going to remember me? Are they going to think of me and, and say, oh, I remember that person? Or are they going to hear my name and go, I have no idea who that is? And, and you're hoping that it's the former because you're hoping that you'll actually be able to, to you know, send them an email and say, hey, can you send me a letter of recommendation? And you're hoping that they don't email you back and go, Uh, maybe, who are you? <laughs> How do I know you? And we have this fear of insignificance. And we combat that fear by making ourselves more significant than maybe what we should be. We, we combat that fear by inflating the significance of the things that we're doing and the people that we're being. And so what is that for you? What has that inflated significance for you? Is it your work? Is it your family? Is it your children? Is it the relationships that you have in your life? Is it your hobby? Is it your, your Insta? 
Is it your TikTok? Is it whatever it is, what, what is that thing that, that has that sense of sort of overinflated significance? Because when you recognize that thing, what you'll recognize in the midst of whatever that thing is that you're trying to grab some significance out of, what you'll recognize in the midst of that is some idolatry. What you'll recognize in the midst of that is you'll, you'll recognize that there is something about that thing that you're giving more significance to, that, that in that you're seeking for immortality. That in that, what you're seeking for is to be like God. And whenever we're getting into a moment where we hear those words that you can be like God, we're automatically rushed back to Genesis. To Genesis 2, where we hear a talking snake, which is weird, but a talking snake who says, if you eat this fruit and sin for the very first time, you can be significant. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. You can achieve immortality. And so it shouldn't surprise us, right? When James and John, they go to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, buddy, pal, We've got something for you to do. And Jesus, you know, I, I always love thinking about how Jesus responds to James and John. You know, it probably, uh, like, just, uh, just like any other parent or anybody who's ever been asked a favor, you know, when somebody comes up and they're like, hey, I've got a favor to ask of you, you go, eh, okay, let's hear it. What, what you got for me? And they say, hey, we want to sit on your right hand and your left. And Jesus goes, oh, silly kids. You can't do that. It's not mine even to give. And in that, Jesus does something interesting. I mean, I think we gloss over it sometimes, right? Uh, we gloss over that Jesus says, uh, that's not mine to offer to you. Uh, but th that's worth actually sor sort of coming around a little bit again, is circling back over to, because in that Jesus says, look, I'm insignificant in this. That job, that job belongs to the Father. That is not a job that I'm going to go to my Father and say, you know what, Father, I'm so significant, I want my buddies to be sitting next to me as we're drinking wine in the new covenant. I want James and John right there. I, I want to be hanging with my brothers. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't claim significance for himself. But rather, he embraces insignificance. He embraces a moment in which he is able to take the significance that he should have as 
the Son of God, as the Word of God, as the second part of the Trinity, as all of the things that Jesus is, he he takes that moment and says, no, instead of doing all of those things in store, instead of claiming for myself the significance that I should indeed have, what I am going to do is I am going to model for you what it looks like to be insignificant. To serve instead of to lord it over you. To not be served, but to rather refuse the service of others. So that he can go to the cross. A very insignificant moment for himself. And in that moment... Show us that significance isn't something that we chase. But significance is something that is conferred upon us. And that's the hope here. That's the hope that we have as Christian human beings. That's the hope that we have in our baptisms Many of us baptized when we were infants and very insignificant in those moments. That's the hope that we have that our insignificance will remain insignificant, but rather will, but then will be imbued with significance with not our own significance but with the significance of Jesus that the thing that is going to be important about us the thing that is going to be the thing that gains us significance is not ourselves but it is going to be the fact that we have been included into a kingdom in which Jesus is king and that kingdom is a horizontal kingdom That kingdom is a kingdom in which none of us are greater than the other. None of us are more significant than the other. None of us are even sitting at the right hand and the left hand as places of great honor, but rather we're sitting at the right hand and the left hand as places of great service. That what we get to recognize in this great kingdom of ours is the leveling of significance. Because the good news there is that in that, none of us are insignificant. And all of us are significant. All of us are so significant that Jesus Christ died on that cross in order to save each of us. All of us are so significant that God stopped time and space in order that we might be brought to the waters of holy baptism, each and every one of us. We are so significant to God that we don't have to worry about being an Ozymandias. But rather, we recognize that we are a beloved, that we are a forgiven, that even our grasping for illegitimate significance 
even that is forgiven us. Because we have a Lord who counted us so significant that he went to the insignificant place of the cross. And on that cross gave us the significance that should rightly be his. And so may you go out into this week knowing those two things. First of all, may you go out into this world knowing that you are insignificant. You're welcome. But may you also know that you are significant. That you are significant to the God of the universe who sent his only son to die for you so that you might be significant in his eyes for eternity. Amen.